This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. So I've just preached this sermon. I mean, I've poured my heart into it. I really, it, it, I didn't hold anything back. I, I set myself on fire, as they say. And uh, he came walking right up to me, and man, his eyes were just intense. And I thought, he's going to tell me how much he loves the sermon. The first words out of his mouth, the music was too loud. Hey everybody, welcome to The Calling. My name is Richard Clark and I am the online managing editor here at Christianity Today. And the print managing editor. No, I'm not. For this issue you are. For this issue. December. That's true. I've been wor- so I'm here with Morgan Lee. You are the co-host of Quick to Listen, a Christianity. Or the host. The other Christianity Today podcast. You're the host right now. Yeah, the, the only host. How's that been going? It's all right. Hanging in there. I do feel like a veteran. I feel like a podcast veteran. I've been podcasting for over six months now. Well, today on the podcast, we're talking to Max Licato. Now, he is um, not super well known. Yeah, you didn't hear about him until you came to CT? No, I'm just kidding. Everyone knows who Max Licato is. Well, did you hear the great story about how Jeremy, the news editor here, attended Wheaton College without knowing who Billy Graham was? That's crazy. But yes, I do know who Max Lucado is. I don't think I've read any of Max's books, but I do remember going to my great aunt's and uncle's house growing up, and they had so many books by him. He's quite the prolific author. He's written a ton of books. One book that he's really well known for is a children's book. And in this community, everyone puts stickers on the people that they approve. Mm -hmm. And they put other color stickers on people that they disapprove of and don't like. And the story is about a young boy who gets very stickered by the ones that are negative, I suppose, until he meets someone who no types of stickers stay on him. It sounds like a great book. Yeah. The Christ figure in the story is the character who can't be defined by other people. CT readers may remember Max Licato from a recent, I mean, other than all of the millions of books he's written, they may remember him from a uh, recent interview we did with him called uh, why Max Licato broke his political science for Trump. It's basically an interview with him about a blog he wrote called Decency for President, in which he speaks out against, uh, really, <laughs> in a kind of uh, what we can see now as a prescient way against um, Trump's indecency in the way he talks and his speech patterns. He also kind of takes issue a little bit with Trump's claims of Christianity. I'm just going to read a little bit from your interview. Yeah. So he's talking about Trump speaking at Liberty University where he read from the Bible. And, you know, there have been various times during the campaign where Trump has asserted that he's a Christian. However, Trump has also said, quote, I've never asked God for forgiveness. And now I'm quoting Max. I can't imagine that. I'm just shaking my head going, how does that work? Does a swimmer say I've never gotten wet? Does a musician say I've never sung a song? How does a person claim to be a Christian and never need to ask for forgiveness? Right. So in this interview, we didn't talk specifically about Trump. We just talked about the election as a whole and sort of like what the Christian's role is uh, in this election. And so he had a lot of good stuff to say there. I was really impressed with how kind 
Max Lucado was in general and just kind of genuine. Especially for such a big figure. Is that what you're saying? It's a backhanded compliment. Well, (laughs) no, there's an interesting, um, there's an interesting part of this interview where he talks about his struggle with alcoholism, his family struggle with alcoholism. And so it's something he's wary of and he has had to deal with that struggle himself. He talks about presenting that struggle to his church, how he's dealt with that. The fact that, you know, every now and then it's still kind of, comes up and so uh listening to him talk about that was really interesting so it sounds like he's a very forthright person Mm -hmm, definitely if you're a regular listener to this podcast or you appreciate it you find yourself becoming a regular listener we'd really like you to consider becoming a subscriber of ct as well christianity today magazine offers redemptive yet honest coverage of the people events and ideas shaping the church and culture and as a subscriber you're going to get 10 award-winning print issues you're going to get tablet and PDF versions. You're going to get access to full web access to ChristianityToday.com. And you get the online version of our very first issue from 1956, which we actually kind of like spotlit the other day. Some good stuff in that first issue by Carl F. H. Henry and Billy Graham. So in our most recent issue of CT, our editor-in-chief, Mark Galley, makes the really interesting point in um, one of our op-eds that just asks people to consider subscribing not only to our publication, but to publications in general. And I just wanted to read one line that I thought really said it well, which is subscribing to a newspaper, and I think Mark would also include magazine in here, is a simple and concrete way to contribute to the public good. That's right. And we have a, we have a special deal for those who want to contribute to the public good of Christianity Today. If you go to orderct.com slash the calling, you get a full year subscription for just $10. That's the lowest price we offer. That's orderct.com slash the calling to subscribe. Um, by the way, Max Lucado has a new book out. It's about Christmas. We talked briefly about Christmas at the intro of this podcast, and uh, it's a little early, but I think you'll find that it's a good time to get started reading a Christmas book, especially if you read as fast as I do. Because I'll barely finish in time for Christmas if I start it now. The name of the book is Because of Bethlehem, Love is Born, Hope is Here. Check it out. Here's Max Lucado. In your book, you make a big deal out of how much you like Christmas. Love it. Which I, I really related do. to because I like Christmas yeah, a lot yeah. too. What do you like so much I, about I, it? I'm, I'm f- the furthest thing from a christmas cynic yeah you know that yeah. that there is i love it i i don't mind even the i know i know some people really complain about the materialism part of it the marketing but i love it uh i just think it's 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 full of fun and opportunities for family and 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 from a spiritual standpoint it's it's really the, the only event all year long that everybody's joining in i never get over the fact that you can be in a shopping mall and hear away in the manger being played over the speakers right. for Silent Night, and so uh, I just think it's a great, a great season, a great season, and, and I, I've always loved it. What's the rule with Christmas music? A lot of people are sticklers about this about Christmas music. Like you have to wait until after Thanksgiving. Oh, is that right? That's what people say. That's what I've heard people yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. And I tried to do that. I tried to do that. Really? But I don't have a lot of uh, yeah. discipline. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. Um, I say bring it on. <laughs> yeah. So you're playing it now. We're yeah, recording yeah, this yeah, in July. That's right. That's in the right. middle of the summer, that's you're right. probably playing I'm, Christmas I'm, I'm going to go to the baseball game and, and play Christmas music in my ears. That's good. <laughs> awesome. Um, we always start, start this podcast with a uh, simple but difficult to answer question, I think. The other day, someone... so. 
the other day someone asked me this question. They said, well, you answer it. And I couldn't, <laughs> like, I could not answer. I was not prepared. So I, now I feel bad for asking this question to everyone. No, you're cruel then. I know. I, know. <laughs> I think someone said, maybe that's why you're doing the podcast is you're trying to, you're going on like a journey to figure out what your calling is. Anyway, how would you define your calling? I, I, I like to write books for people who don't like to read books. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what I do. Interesting. And, and um, I, I am still a a preacher, still a pastor, but all of my books come out of my sermons. So when I say I write books, that includes ministering to the church. It's 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 a step in the creation of a book. You're like a writerly preacher in some I, ways. I think so. Yeah. Somebody once asked me if I was a preacher who writes or a writer who preaches, and, and I couldn't answer that question. I've never had to, uh-huh. and so I'm, I'm thankful I've never been forced to. But I think if I had to pick, I'd probably end up being a writer. And, huh. and I like to write books for people who don't who don't like to read books. Um, I've never really considered myself a scholarly writer because I'm not scholarly. Kind of struggled through college and and, uh, never really knocked it out of the park grade-wise. But I love to learn. I really do. I love to discover new things. And it really brings me a lot of joy if someone comes up to me and says, hey, I never read books, uh, but I read yours. Or my husband never reads books, but he, he always reads yours. And, and that's, that's my payday. What, one of the things that people will say about your books is it'll, you'll look at it and you go, yeah, I know about that. Like, I get it. I, I get it. And then they'll read it and they'll go, I never, I never thought about it that way. Like, it is, it is kind of amazing how you manage to do that consistently. Well, that's good to hear. How do you do that? Like what, <laughs> or what is it about you that causes you to be able to look at the Bethlehem birth story or all of these other stories that you've heard before and make them sort of like have a new That's perspective? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure I always succeed for one thing. Um, we, just, we just as a church studied through the book of Daniel. You know, the, the joke among pastors when you talk about studying or preaching Daniel is, are you going to do all 12 chapters? Yeah. <laughs> are you just going to stick with the lion's den story and the, and the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Abednego story? And, but we tackled all 12 chapters, and it was a great experience for me because that's, that's kind of a challenge. Can you teach prophecy in such a way that the housewife and the truck driver all go home saying, oh, okay. I got something out of that, and and I think out of probably the last twenty five years, that that book to me was the most challenging in terms of making it uh, number one where I could understand it. You know, I was I was intimidated by it, but then number two, uh, where somebody who doesn't like sermons or doesn't like books uh, would would really walk away. And and so to answer your question, what I thought was okay, why does this book matter? On Monday mornings, you know what? What is it that's gonna? Uh, my goal is not to impress uh, people with what I've discovered, but my goal has to be what what could make this church members Monday better. And and to me, I, I landed on the fact that God gives prophecy to encourage us, not not to frighten us, but to encourage us. And so I, I came at every chapter thinking, okay. How, the story of, of Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the statue and how daunting that could be. Well, that's not to scare us. That's to encourage us. God knows what the future is. So I'd, every chapter kept coming back to that, coming back to that. And I had a couple of people say, yeah, now I've never heard prophecy uh, from that angle. So, so maybe there's an answer to your question. I, I try to say, well, how can this make my f- uh, church members Monday a better day? That's an interesting uh, way of thinking about it because I feel like a lot of pastors— 
struggle to put themselves in the place of non-pastors. There is an inherent difference yeah. in the lifestyle of a pastor versus the lifestyle of a person who works a normal Remarkable difference. Remarkable difference. We have the privilege, at least I do, of studying. You know, I have uh, all day Monday is blocked for for study. All day Wednesday is blocked for study. I mean, who in the world has? You don't. You know, in your work, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. What a what a luxury. Now, my ministry's not always been like that, but but as I've over the years become more and more focused on being a teaching pastor, it just makes sense that I have two whole days. No appointments. Uh, I sit in my office with books and computer, and I love it. And and yet that gives me a privilege that, like you say, no one else has. And so there's a ten- tendency there to get so to come into the pulpit with all this knowledge. Oh, here's what so and so said about this, and here's what so and so. And and you tend to just regurgitate what you've learned. But you got to force yourself to say, okay, now why is this going to make a difference? And simpler is always better. Uh, and trying to reduce the message of the sermon down to a sentence is always wise. And remembering there's a broken heart on every seat and every pew, that's, that's essential. Do you have ways of, like, concrete ways of staying in touch, like, as opposed to out of touch? <laughs> you know? uh, I intentionally try to hang out with some of the guys uh, in, in, in the church. I'm always curious about friendships and how they work for pastors. How, how many, like, good friendships do, would you say you had? Close friendships. Hmm. Three. Okay. Yeah. And But then you hang out with a broader group just yeah. on occasion. Yeah. I, I like to play golf. I don't play golf well, but yeah. I like to play golf. Uh-huh. And I found that to be a great way to uh, hang out with, with guys. And uh, I, I do some counseling, but not a whole lot. But that is a good opportunity uh, for me. And then our neighborhood, uh, we try to get with our neighbors on a regular basis and 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 hang out. Uh, <laughs> our neighborhood has a happy hour club. And I, I go down to the happy hour club. They have a little, there's a restaurant with a bar. And I'll, I'll just hang out with the guys and, and ladies. It's a great time to just hear what's going on on our street. Do they know you as the Max Licato, the uh, preacher pastor? I don't think writer. they do. Yeah. I don't. I, uh, they're, they're, they're pretty much non-church folks. And so I don't think that, uh, I don't think. It's I think, not a that, big I think deal. they know me as the guy who forgets to put his trash out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. When was the time that you feel like you became aware of that calling? I would say out of seminary, I went to Miami, Florida in 1979, and I was there for three years. And then my wife and I moved to Brazil, and we were there from 1983 to 1988. While we were in Brazil, that's when I wrote my first book. And um, I had no uh, illusion that I'd write more than one. I was just thankful that I wrote one. It was called On the Anvil, published by Tyndale House. And what was it about? It was a collection of uh, devotional articles that I had written uh, over the prior three years while in Miami uh, for a magazine, for a church bulletin. But as soon as I got that book finished, I had an idea for another one. And then I, and I, and, and, the publisher agreed to do that one. Then I, before I had that one finished, I had an idea for a second. I mean, a third, and then then an idea for a fourth. And I realized there's this seemed to be this steady flow of of ideas for writing. And I thought, well, maybe my my calling is to write books. How? What was your age at that point? I was um, went there at the age of 28. So I've, my first book came out when I was 30. But you were already pastoring. Yeah. Yeah, in in Brazil. In, in Brazil. It, actually, yeah. we were planting a church. I was a part of a team that was planting a church, and so we were splitting all the responsibilities. 
So what um, what led you to Brazil? The short answer to that, I can give you a real long give answer. Give me the long answer. <laughs> I came to faith in college. I was a heavy drinker, a real partier, and I was really making a mess of my life. I come from a family of alcoholics. Even to this day, I have to watch it. You know, I enjoy But you it. go to the happy hour. I do, and I have to watch it. I honestly do. Is it a real struggle, those, those times? It, the, the struggle comes... When I get in a habit of, of having a, uh, a glass of wine every night, uh, I was in a stretch about 10 years ago when I would have a couple of beers with dinner, and I would, I would feel that old uh, kind of trigger kick in where, where two wasn't enough, and so then I'd go with three and then four. And, and so now, so, so for, that, that scared me. I mean, it really, so, so much so that I had to ask my own church for prayers. Because I thought, oh man, I'm, I'm so when it's, you, it's reactivated. You did that from the stage or what? Yeah, we have a prayer service. Okay, and and uh, and you asked them. For I, prayer. It, yeah, it wasn't the Sunday morning service, but we do have a prayer service on Wednesday nights, and so I asked them. It's for kind prayer. of amazing that you have a church where you can do that as a pastor. Yeah, I guess it is. Uh, that's it? unique, I think. Maybe so. It feels that way to me, at least. Um, it's a struggle. I mean, I have to. I, no, I don't live with it day to day. I don't. But I think if if. Um, uh, and I'm not trying to over-spiritualize it, but I really am. If Jesus wasn't inside my heart, I know I'd be an alcoholic. I really do, because I was headed down that road. Anyway, so I, at the age of 20, uh, I was in college. I, I came to faith. And to, and, and, and to really grow, I had to change peer groups, because I was running around with a bunch of folks that uh, that's about all we did was, was drink and party. So I found a new group. I literally kind of said goodbye to these guys, and I found a new group. And it turns out they were uh, all wanting to be missionaries, and they were going to Brazil. And they invited me to spend a summer in Brazil when I was 21, and and I did, and uh, decided I wanted to go back and be a missionary. And so that's how I ended up in Brazil. I thought that's—I had a feeling that I might spend my life there because I, I, when I first went down, because I really loved it. But that's when I started writing, uh, uh, just in kind of a, a devotional way. Uh, I was collecting these articles that I'd written for a church bulletin and, and got them published. And, and I just kept writing, and I realized, I think, I, I think this is what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. What did you love about Brazil? Oh, I love the people. I really do. They're so warm. They were just the warmest people. And uh, they truly live up to that, uh, you know, both good side and bad side of the... Uh, uh, laid back, right? You know, there's uh, there there's a, a a level of uh, not taking life too seriously that uh, will both charm you and drive you crazy. Right. You know, yeah, yeah. yeah it really yeah. does. And as a Westerner, I mean, to 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 move there and I know you know this was back in the mid '80s, so I don't know if it's changed. Uh, I left in '88. But then, I mean, you know, you'd you'd get in, uh, try to get a few things done during the day, and you'd go to pay your bills, and nobody's there to receive the payment. Uh, they've they've taken a long lunch break. I mean, not just they've taken the afternoon off, and and so it's it's really, uh, really a laid back lifestyle, uh, which which endears the people to you, but also drives you crazy, you know. But we really loved it. Two of our three daughters were born in Brazil. So it was a great experience for us. What caused you to move back to the States? Well, first of all, my father passed away. Okay. And I wanted to be closer to my mom. And what was your age at that point? I, w- I was 33. I was, I was 30 when he died. Oh. Uh, yeah. And then I stayed for another three years. I think that's how old I was when my dad died. Oh, is that right? Yeah. It's a weird age. It is. For your dad to die. It's a little, little young, isn't it? It's like... 
just barely too young, it feels like. I don't know. I mean, any age is too young. But it feels like um, I think I was getting to be an adult, but I could have used some help for a little while longer kind of feeling. Had he been sick? or was Yeah, he sudden? had cancer. Yeah. So we knew it was coming. It was just like... My dad had had just retired and was really enjoying retirement, but then he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease, and, and it was really a sad thing to watch. Yeah. Did you... Was he a, a believer? He was. He was. And... um. I, I almost did not go to Brazil because he had been he was diagnosed before I left. Oh wow! And he really wanted me to go, and he wrote me a beautiful letter urging me to go, and so I, I still did. That's that amazing. Time. Did did they know at that time it was going to be fatal? I think so. Okay, I think so. Okay, yeah. That's a hard choice to make. That's a really hard. It choice It was amazing, to make. you know. As I look back now, to for him to do that, uh, for for him to urge me. Of course, I guess we always uh, we were always praying that he might be healed and and that that he would be the exception to the rule. But it was a powerful thing for him to say. You know, I, the letter in the letter he said, "I have no fear of death or eternity." And I still, of course, I've treasured that letter through the years. Yeah. So I, I wanted to get uh, back to, closer to to my mom. And uh, she was still living in Texas, and and uh, so a church in San Antonio was looking for a for a minister, and uh, I heard about them through a friend, and that's how I ended up back in, in Texas. And Texas was your hometown. Yeah, I grew up in Texas. Okay, of course, you, we all know how big Texas is, and so my I don't know why I said <laughs> Texas is your hometown. hometown. That's a weird <laughs> of all states to call a hometown. Uh, I was still a good seven-hour drive from my mom. I mean, the state is so huge, you know. <laughs> it's wacko. And it's te- San Antonio is way south. It's it's close to the border. It's the last big city, you know, before you get to the border. So uh, I was still a long ways. But at least I was within driving distance. Yeah, that's good. And then that's where you stayed. You're still there? All all these years. And uh, I went to the church and, and I told them that I was I had... I had you know, I was a writer. I wanted to write, and was that okay with them? Mm-hmm. And and they, you know, they being the leaders of the church, uh, asked me what does that mean. And I said, well, I may not be able to do all the hospital visitation or all the counseling that most ministers would do, uh, but would you allow me to see this as my job? I'll, I'll be the senior minister and I'll write books. And they were th- they were happy with that, and and I look back and I say that was uh, really great because if 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 they had said no, then I probably wouldn't have gone. Uh, I don't know what I would have done, but uh. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. There's, I feel like there's two models of what you're talking about, which is I have a preaching pastor. There's the preaching pastor who, this is going to sound derogatory. I don't mean it to be, but I do kind of have an opinion about which one is better. There, there's the preaching pastor who 
says, I'm the preaching pastor. I study all the time. I know all the stuff, and I'm going to tell you all the stuff I know. And there's a preaching pastor who is, like you, I think dedicated to figuring out how to translate that stuff, which I think is a, just a question of how to do it better. Like, you can still study all of that and become convinced of, uh, you know, what you believe, but and then tell the church. But there's a way of saying that in a, in a way that's valuable and encouraging and sort of concrete for the the church that you're responsible for it sounds like on paper that idea would make you a person who would be out of touch would be like inherently like how are you supposed to know what they need to hear if you're not counseling if you're not doing those things but it sounds like the answer to that may be something like well you just are aware of those shortcomings you're aware of the problem and you try to solve it from the beginning I I think it's a, a rough t- call to be a pastor. I, I do. It's it's just it's it's fraught with struggle. Um, I, you know, who am I to say who the devil targets more than anybody? But I I would think that it would make sense for him uh, to target pastors. The temptations that come with with uh, being a pastor are are unique because uh, people really think you know more than you actually know, and they really do trust you especially after you've been at a place like I have for 28 years. Uh, they, they, they really think I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Boy, do I have them fooled. Uh-huh. But no, I, I, I love the church. I do. And, um, but it's, uh, you know, it's easy to get too sold on yourself. It really is. And, uh, uh, and so there's always events, I think, that God allows, I think, to keep us humble, uh, keep us depending upon him. We had a, a church meeting of um, regarding a decision we're trying to make, and uh, we had some of our members just just lash, just give me a tongue lashing, and uh, they were so angry at me, and I went home just heartbroken. This was just two months ago. I still remember it, obviously, you know. And these are people that have been in the church all these years, and I and I tapped into some pent up anger they have toward me, and uh, so here I've been at the church nearly three decades, and uh, I realized that. I still can't <laughs> please everybody, and I've done something that's that's bothered them, and I can't quite figure out what it is. But it was enough for them just to have this angry outburst in the middle right, of a so meeting. Right, so they weren't of, telling you what they're upset about. They're, they're just, just angry at the, at the whole church. Yeah, you know what's happening to our church, that kind of thing. You know, where are you taking us? Uh-huh. Those kind of questions. Well, you know, we're not what we used to be, and not so much the what was said is the way it was said, and it. Uh, Maybe they have a case, but you know, really, I realize how hard it is to pastor people. <laughs> it really is. Well, I mean, that seems like a really hard struggle. If you're, I mean, for me, I like to please people. Yeah, yeah. And to not be able to please all of them, and to it's part in some ways, it's part of the pastoral position is not to please people, but to have them understand that you want. Their best, you have their best yeah, interests yeah. in mind, and, and you, I really do love them. I, I do. I, lo- I love our church, and they've loved me. You know, I can't. I had no no pastoral experience except for Brazil, and uh, and so they took a chance on me. By and large, it's been a wonderful journey. It really has. Um, we've gone through some major changes as a church, uh, some wonderful growth as a church, but we've also had uh, some some big challenges uh, as a congregation. We've never had a split. Uh, we have had some personnel issues where we had um, to make some real difficult decisions about ministers on the staff, and 
Those things are, are really difficult. I've never really seen myself as a, you know, I, I'm I'm 61, and so I'm kind of in that same age group. I was just out on the West Coast, and I saw Rick Warren and Bill Hybels. I'm in that kind of that same age group. And, and those two guys, especially when I got into ministry, I thought I need to be like them. They're very strong leaders. Uh, I think Bill and Rick can walk into a room and say, here's what this, here's what needs to happen. And they, and they have astounding leadership abilities. Um, and, and so when I first got into ministry, I thought, well, okay, a good minister needs to be like them. These strong personality. And I say that in a good way, right. not, not mean, a strong, but very confident. And I'm not like that. I, I realized after about four or five years of trying to be that way, I'm a pastor and, 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 and I can sit down with somebody who has a broken heart and, 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 and love them and encourage them and remind them of how God cares. But I struggle uh, when I look at a, a budget or I struggle when somebody says, now, what's this long-term strategy for our church? Well, I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's love God, preach Jesus, and pray. And, you know, I kind of would do stuff like that. There were, there were times when I struggled because I, I, I didn't match up to some of the people who have that great strategic uh, leadership skill. When you have conversations with those people, are they trying to get you to do... Like more leadery stuff? No, no, they they don't. I mean, we don't converse a whole lot, but I have found that other ministers have that same struggle. Here, here, we all compare ourselves, right? It's an appealing thing to see a person leading. It is. And you want to do that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there are some people like that uh, who, who just seem to, they're, they're almost like an excellent head coach. And boy, they know the next play to call. But then some of us are just good linemen. You know, we know how to block. And so uh, being at peace with our partic- particular role is, is really important. Is that your biggest struggle or do you have a, is, a I was going to ask what your biggest yeah. struggle was. Uh, that's with not the a struggle pastor. anymore, but for the first 10 years that was, I had an image of what a pastor was supposed to look like and I, and it was wrong. It was wrong. I, I didn't realize pastoral responsibilities are similar, but we're all unique and, and there is a uniqueness and the uniqueness of that pastoral's, uh, of that pastor's spiritual gift is going to be manifest in his church. And this is why I think some churches uh, take on different size, different personality than others. And I, I really believe that's all part of God's sovereign plan. Was there a time where you doubted that you should, should do be this? In the, should be a pastor? No, no. I've never wanted to to try anything else. Um, I think that's a tribute to, to the church where I've served all these years. I've really loved it. I have. The, uh, like I said, we've had, a, we've had some challenges through the years. I don't know what else I would do. Uh, you, you know, I, I think uh, many people would say, why don't you just write books? Because that's where my salary comes from. I've, I've not, I've lived off of royalty, which is, has been so. Easy you don't to do. you don't take any salary from the church. No, I, wow. I, I returned it. I, I return it. Okay, is, is the technical phrase. Okay, got it. I, I return it, uh, and that that began after two years yeah. at the church. So it, two years at the church. Hey, this has not been sacrificial. Believe me, it's, it's I've been blessed, but uh, <laughs> but beyond measure. Yeah. But yeah, I did. It didn't make sense to me, so I, I yeah. went to the elders and I said, "I'll let's just return the salary." That way, I can still be called a minister. That's the technical part of it. So, so, uh, but so a person could say, "Well, why don't you just write books?" And and I have never wanted to do that. There's something about being in the what's the old word grist that you know, kind of the the day to day challenge of the church 
that's good for me. It keeps me grounded. You know, like that meeting I was in two months ago. Yeah. I needed, I probably needed that. Yeah. I, I probably needed to, you know, maybe I was getting a little too cocky, you yeah. know? <laughs> uh, and, and so, uh, it, I'm afraid if I just wrote books, I'd put myself in my office and never come out. And yeah. Just, and then you go on tours and everyone yeah, would love like, you. Yeah, and yeah. 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 Like I'm this week, I'm on a tour and you know, people think I'm really cool. And all <laughs> right. And, but then I'll go back home where I preach and, uh, it's a great relationship, but I still, uh, you know, they're not that impressed. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're like comparing it to last week's. <laughs> it wasn't quite that, that that's good. Right. That's right, that's yeah. right. So with Daniel, were people satisfied? Because I know with Daniel, yeah. they want like yeah. concrete answers. Yeah, yeah. I got great feedback on Daniel. Uh, and and uh, I loved it. I loved it. And and uh, I've, I don't come from a, a tradition or a background that really uh, focused I come from an amillennial position, and and where I, where I was raised, thinking you know that we're there's no literal millennial kingdom, no thousand year reign. I'm, we're, I know we're probably not going to get into all that. I don't believe that anymore. I I, I have become a dispensationalist, or okay. uh, I do believe there will be, and and uh, and so it was wonderful for me to study through that from fresh eyes, and and it got me all excited. And so if the preacher's excited about what he's learning, uh, and if the preacher comes into the pulpit saying, oh. I, Man, I'm so excited about what I learned in Daniel two yeah. th- this week. Or wow, Daniel seven's not easy, yeah. but boy, we're gonna dig into it. You can hear that in his in his voice, her voice, and you you pick that up, and, and I think it's contagious. And so, yeah, I I think uh, by the end of it, people were happy. And the la- the last time I talked to you, we were talking about politics. Daniel seems relevant. It does in light it? of politics right now and so i think yeah we'll still be in campaign season when this interview comes out so i think it's safe to have a conversation about like when i talked to you last it seemed like you were saying uh can't go with this trump guy what do you think is the christian's role at this point in this season where we really don't have a lot of great it just doesn't seem like we have a lot of great options are you going to help me answer that? No. <laughs> That's not my role here. So your role is just... I a, don't have an answer. That's why yeah, I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, Daniel was a great study because, is is you know, when you read Daniel, you realize all of those kings were uh, egotists. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar built a statue to himself <laughs> and said, everybody come and worship me. Right. I'm the greatest thing. Yeah. Not dropping any names here. It was a huge statue. <laughs> it was huge a huge statue. statue. Yeah. And it was disproportionate. And uh, he got mad if people didn't come up and just tell him how great he was. And then Belshazzar, um, you know, basically was the most irreverent person. It may be the most irreverent in the Bible. You know, of all the of all the goblets he could have used, he decided he'd take the goblets right out that had been taken from the temple and use them for his drunken party, maybe a drunken orgy. And so here you have these two kings uh, that that are as bad as they come. Now Nebuchadnezzar, uh, uh, you know, God allowed him to go crazy and and really come to faith. Uh, Belshazzar saw the writing on the wall and and never made it. Uh, the the attack came that night. It's just a fascinating book, and 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 I think one of the themes of Daniel is there is there is still a God in heaven. There is still a God in heaven, and even when the the person on the throne or in the White House or leading the country is far from God. God is not far from the nation. And so I, I think the books like the book of Daniel give give us hope during seasons that we uh, don't see any good options. 
And we say, okay, you know, God used Daniel during the days of Nebuchadnezzar. He used Daniel during the days of Belshazzar. He can use us, uh, especially, especially now. So our, our big role right now, I think, is, is to remain in prayer and, and to keep asking, uh, saying, God, what you did back in, in Babylon, could you do it again? Uh, today. So our primary role is prayer. Absolutely. Sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, that's, you don't hear that very often. That's the promise. You know, that's our weapon is yeah. prayer. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, will repent of their ways first and then humble themselves and pray, then I will come. I will hear from heaven. I will heal their land. So there's, there's the job of the church right there. Uh, the primary job of the church is not politics, it's prayer. So we're people who, who lead forth in prayer. Uh, and and uh, if if we fail at that, then then I don't think we have much hope. Yeah. Okay. So what what in in local church ministry have you come to value most in the time that you've been there? I think the tenderness of being at one place for for a long time um, is real valuable to me. Of seeing members and uh, knowing that I was you know preached at the funeral of their of her husband or helped them. Uh, get through the loss of their child, uh, or I perform that wedding, or I, rem- you know, or running into somebody and uh, they remind me, said you came to the, the birth of our, our baby, or you dedicated our child. Um, uh, you know, I think I think the tenderness of 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 being in one place. I, I've never seriously considered leaving uh, that congregation. I had a couple of opportunities early on. I can't remember the last time I had anybody call me. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but I haven't had another church call me in years. But uh, but early on, I had some opportunities that I seriously considered, and I'm so glad I didn't, glad I stayed, and because there is that, that uniqueness that comes from being at one church for a long time that I treasure. Now, I, I sure don't say that to, you know, make anybody who has moved around quite often feel feel bad because I have some good friends who've moved every two or three years, and I think that's kind of their call. They're kind of turnaround. Like in the business world, right. you hear about a turnaround guy. Yeah. There's some pastors who can go into a church that's really struggling. That can They can be there for two or three years, help them get back on their feet, and then they get called to another place. That's a wonderful calling as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, what... What are some ways that ministry has changed you over time? I think when I first got into it, I thought it'd be easier. When I uh, first got into ministry, I, I I think I thought that you just uh, tell people what the church should do and everybody's going to get on board. And that may be true in certain cultures that are more authoritarian uh, in in the sense that I, I guess what I'm saying is, is my experience with Western churches <laughs> is that we're pretty independent. Certainly in Texas. I was going to say that. Yeah, I th- I think Texans are kind of prideful. Yeah. I can say that since I am. I'm one. curious if you've seen that <laughs> become even more the case, like uh, over the last few years. It feels like there's an anti-authoritarian. I think there thing is happening. And we we've struggled a lot through the '90s with the scandals uh, of of pastors and religious authorities. Um, that really hurt the credibility of pastors. Yeah, and that hasn't and slowed down. That hasn't slowed down. Yeah, no. And then, uh, and then the Catholic Church. You know, people uh, who are raised in a Catholic church, uh, even though it's a small percentage of of priests who are guilty of of those terrible things, still the imposition of the the mindset is it's it's the, all the priests seem to have lost some credibility. And so, I, I don't think uh, I think it's a diff. It, it, there's um, there's a distrust, maybe. Of, a, of of religious authority, yeah. 
Yeah. But I do believe people want shepherds. They want somebody to help them figure life out. And so that, that to me is encouraging. You, there's still a, people still want somebody to say, okay, tell me where I need to be thinking, how I need to be thinking. Why do you think they want that? I think they're just lost and they're confused. Um, you know, I'm traveling right now, as you know, with, with Louis Giglio. He's a great man, great man. Uh, do you know Louis or have you yeah. ever? Yeah, I've, I mean, I know, you know of him. Yeah, okay, yeah. so he met, he pastors in Atlanta. And um, he and I are sharing this speaking opportunity, and I watch people listen to him. And he speaks with such conviction that, that it, and, and then he calls people to pray. And, and you can just see people saying, yes, I need somebody to tell me what I already know. <laughs> I just need somebody to affirm because what I believe. And I think people get so beat up in life. They long for somebody to say, God is still on the throne, and God still loves you. And, and I, I, if you believe it, uh, Pastor Louis, then I'm going to believe it with you. So I, we really do need that. And, and uh, that's what we said earlier in the, in the conversation, that the devil targets people who have that authoritarian ro- uh, role of authority in our culture. And I think that's why. What are ways that the devil has targeted you? The, the way he it targets all pastors is pride, okay? Okay, yeah. That's, that's the big thing. The fact that people call you reverend or call you pastor uh, can really get to your head real quick. I, I used to listen to messages by a guy named Steve Brown. He's, he's on the radio. I know him. Do you yeah. know? Oh, what I know a, of him. What a great guy. Yeah. What a great guy. I used to listen to that when I was like a teenager. I used to listen to his show because it was like a, a funny, like yeah. partially he's funny. He's so funny. Yeah. He's I so love funny. that guy. He's really good. Well, he, he, for years, he, he pre- pastored at Key Biscayne Presbyterian Church in Key Biscayne, Florida. And I used to receive his messages via cassette tape. That's how long ago, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I would listen to every one of them. And he would always start his sermons by saying, forgive the sins of the one who speaks, for they are many. And they call him reverend. He is not. It's, he, he started wow. every lesson like that. <laughs> That's intense. And it is. And I, 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 I've always appreciated that because it, it's a battle. It's a real battle. People think you know more than you really do. And so I... I think uh, that's that's a struggle for all pastors. It's been a struggle for me. It really has. Uh, you see it manifest itself in 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 the lives of pastors and everything from addiction to inappropriate behavior uh, of a variety of sorts. But it seems to me that those are all fruits of the original root of pride. Because if you set yourself up that you have to have the applause and the appreciation of the church, then you're setting yourself up for some pain. What are the things in your life that keep you hum- humble? Again, uh, being connected to the church um, it, it is, is really good. I, just two or three months ago, but I preached what I thought was a great sermon. I mean, it, I thought it was so good. And uh, it, after every service, there we have a little greeting area where whoever preaches that day goes and stands and people come up. So I, I preach the sermon, and then somebody else comes up and dismisses the congregation so that whoever's preaching can have time to get out into that greeting area. And so all they have to do is step off to the right, and there's a little greeting area. So I step over there, and man, as soon as the dismissal happens, here comes a person coming out of the sanctuary. He's a guy that I know pretty well. And uh, I th- in my mind, I thought, and also, I've just preached this sermon. I mean, I've poured my heart into it. I really... It, it, I didn't hold anything back. I, I set myself on fire, as they say. And uh, he came walking right up to me, and man, his eyes were just intense. And I thought, he's going to tell me how much he loves the sermon. The first words out of his mouth, 
The music was too loud. <laughs> I mean, I sunk inside. I sunk. I thought, you mean I worked my little tail off all week. I prayed. I put the whole... And your only thing you can say is the music was too loud. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say something bad, but be, having it ignored is ignored. way worse. Like, come on, way man. worse. And what what made that? We have one of our the early morning service on Sundays is by nature a little more uh, reflective. So we do keep it. It's calmer. It's it's an early morning yeah. service, and that's it was that service. Now I can't make the music any softer. <laughs> yeah, come on. So it's those kind of things that. Uh, just bring keep me, you know. I think they help me stay rooted. Those uh, greeting moments seem like they would be exhausting. Oh, like because you're at your most, yeah, raw. I think yeah. at that moment, right after the sermon, you either yeah. think you screwed it up or did a great job. I'm sure there's not many times you think the uh, anything else than yeah. those two things. Yeah. When I first got into preaching, uh, I was the associate pastor at a church in Miami, Florida, for those for three years. The guy that I, uh, that was the senior minister uh, was a wonderful preacher. Wonderful preacher. But I never forget, he told me, he said, every time I finish a sermon and sit down, I think I've done a terrible job. And I thought, how could it be? You're, every week you do such a great job. Now I get it. You know, I, very seldom do you sit down after a sermon and say, boy, I just really knocked it out of the park. Right. You know, your and first, the one time you do, the, one time you do, the they, music is mad too loud. about the music. <laughs> if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and talk to yourself, what would you tell him? I would talk to a preacher in Brazil and uh, tell him that the greatest news is the grace of God. There was a stretch there that I got uh, entangled in a, a form of legalism. Had I been pressed, had you pressed me, I would have had to admit that I believe that we're saved by Christ's work and our works, not just Christ's work. And um, I needed somebody to slap me around a little bit there, and and uh, I just got tangled up in that. Uh, you need to do what is right to be saved and to stay saved. And so I I, I wish I could have I wish uh, I, I would have spoken to that person uh, a little more uh, directly. So what did that look like in your preaching? Yeah, I I, I felt like. Uh, Christ saves us, but we we have to stay holy to stay saved. And that holiness is manifested in having the right type of worship service, in having the right understanding on certain doctrines, in certain uh, religious acts. Uh, there was a time I believed that, that, that uh, if you weren't baptized with the right mindset, then you weren't really converted. Uh, and there was a time I believed that if you didn't partake of communion, on a weekly basis with the mindset just right, uh, that it was invalid. I was a Pharisee, you know, I was, I was, I was placing the, the act of salvation. I, I believe Christ's act was enough to save us, but it wasn't enough to keep us saved. That creates one of two kinds of people that either creates a very arrogant person or a very, uh, insecure person. Legalism creates arrogance or insecurity all the time. It was creating arrogance in me. Because in order to advance your particular uh, uh, version or brand of legalism, then you have to always be pointing out how other churches or other people are wrong. You're the only one that is right. And so it creates a very arrogant, prideful church, and that leads to division. That's the kind of the process of, of legalism. And I was headed down that way, and I didn't, I, I didn't like where I was going. Uh, so 
I read a book by Charles Stanley uh, early in my ministry called Eternal Security, and uh, and then and then as a church, uh, we decided to study through the Book of Romans. Uh, about the third year into my ministry in San Antonio, That'll those two it. events, yeah, those two events, yeah, <laughs> yeah. kind of shook me up. Yeah, that's good. I read uh, John Stott has a commentary on Romans that just changed me. It just, I thought, wow. You know, basically, either we're saved by grace or not, and that's it. We're either saved by grace, and the grace that saves us is sufficient to sustain us. Now I believe that with all my heart. You've been listening to The Calling. Max Licato is the author of Because of Bethlehem and many other books. He's also a pastor at Oaks Hill Church in San Antonio, Texas. He's been on staff there since 1988. You can find his website at maxlicato.com. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes. It helps us a lot. The Calling is produced by Cray Allred. Theme music by the one and only Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.